Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. First of all, Prime Minister, thank you very much for uh, hosting us today uh, here in um, 10 Downing Street. It's my first time in this building, so um, uh, it's a little thrill in it as well. I was, um, as we spoke on the way in and I was reminded of that, that famous scene in Love Actually where... Um, where Hugh Grant does his dance down the stairs, but apparently it wasn't actually filmed here, so uh, I didn't get a chance to see the stairs. And it's Wednesday, June the 21st, the longest day of 2017, and you're very welcome to the latest edition of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan, and with me in studio today, Mary Minahan and Fia Kelly from our political staff. You just heard the Taoiseach there speaking to the press following his first meeting in 10 Downing Street. I should say I have only seen Love Actually once, and I have to admit I found the whole thing smug, shallow, and really rather boring. But enough about Leo Varadkar's new government. Mary, what did you think of Love Actually? I hate Love Actually. Can I come out as saying that? I just can't stand it. It makes me feel a bit queasy. It is. It's really creepy kind of I mean, there are certain vignettes in it that are good, like the Alan Rickman and uh, is it Emily Thompson's? Yeah, yeah. The, da- the dancing down the sta- the Hugh Grant dancing down the stairs to uh, to jump is not one of those vignettes. Definitely though, is not it? one of the highlights at all. And what struck me was that if Andy Kenny had gone abroad and said something like that, he would have been absolutely crucified. Mm-hmm. It's bad enough that he does the air guitar to Bruce Springsteen in <laughs> Park, isn't it, Fiac? I mean, I, do we have another? I, I mean, I, th- I think we all thought that one of the things was we didn't have an embarrassing T-shock now, but clearly we were wrong. Clearly <laughs> our hopes have been dashed quite quickly. I think, you know, oftentimes Andy Kenny tried to be cool and I think we just saw our new T-shirt attempt quite badly to be cool as well. He actually did raise love actually once before. Someone pointed out to me the other day that uh, he also, in a previous NAF episode, NAF episode, he hosted a radio show over Christmas where he uh, showed off his uh, musical knowledge and he used yeah, the Johnny Mitchell. Yeah, beyond my professional yeah. requirements. But apparently it was pointed to, to me yeah. that he, he used the Johnny Mitchell song as one of his favourite songs ever. Favourite songs ever because it was one of the from one of his favourite movies ever, which well, is Love Actually. It's okay. a lovely moment in the movie. I'll give it that. I'm going to try some deep pop psychology awful. then. Yeah. Uh, why not? Why, why not? Love Actually was released in what about 2003? 2003. It's about the about the peak of the Blair, or just when the Blair years were going sour, actually. Mm. But it's a very Blairite kind of a film. Young Leo at that point was just being kind of starting to set his cap towards thinking of running for the local elections a why couple of years later. Do you think been... maybe he models himself on Hugh Grant? <laughs> <laughs> what a question. Uh, <laughs> Possibly, but I wouldn't want to delve any further in the comparisons between the two men, you know. One has a very hostile attitude to the press for a start. Indeed. Uh, I think, though, it seemed to have gone quite down quite well uh, in Britain, didn't it? I know Channel 4 News highlighted it. Um, but I suppose there was a big contrast for the Brits in terms of this wide-eyed, innocent abroad, mm. <laughs> as they saw him. Leo Varadkar contrasted with the haunted, mm. haunted Prime Minister that they have in the, Britain, the fact is that Theresa the, May. It's like over the last few weeks, through the prism of the British media, um, which obviously they look through everything through the disaster that has been Theresa May's last um, uh, last month or so. So also last week I read a piece and I can't remember which British newspaper it was, but which was very favourably comparing Enda Kenny's very last speech in the the opening of the new National Gallery and the kind of the way in which it articulated the nation and its mm. and its history and its future and and comparing that with the, the you know Theresa May's disaster with Grenfell last week.
week and her inability actually mm. to do the same thing. I suppose you know, but like the I mean, we tend to be a bit maybe more yeah, obviously but meaner to our, our own local like the leaders. The domestic then. audience doesn't will always exactly. look to the bits it likes and you know will select attributes of other leaders that will compare and favor to its own. Like you know, if we wanted to look abroad, we would go, oh look at just like actually you've heard it in the last few days. Leo Varadkar compares himself to Justin Trudeau and Macron. Those guys would never have such an outrageously uh, male-dominated cabinet and ministerial ranks, you know, da-da-da-da. So we always look to what we see as the good elements of leaders abroad. So it's quite like... And the other thing, the British, yeah. I think the, 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 the thing I felt that that Love Actually thing, I just thought it was a bit... It wasn't appropriate, really, because he had, in previous utterances, you know, expressed condolences to the British people on the Grenfell trage- tragedy, the previous uh, instance of terrorism. So it just didn't quite fit. It wasn't befitting on the occasion. And it's kind of awkward, isn't it? Even if you listen to the quote, you know, it, it, there's this kind of nerdy, geeky thing kicks in there with all this business of, it isn't actually where they shot it. They shot it on a studio set, I'm told. Which carried through yesterday. <laughs> We're very familiar with that side of yeah. Leo Kerr. I think that didn't surprise us no. at all. And it carried through yesterday in his leader's questions when obviously someone brought this up. I think Jerry Adams said, you know, you know, this, I think actually Jerry Adams had a good line. He says, this wasn't quite the spirit of Michael Collins and Downing Street, you know, you invoking Hugh Grant. And then Leo Varadkar had this really awful prepared joke that yeah. he kind of shuffled the paper towards him and said, oh, Deputy Adams, I think you're a, fr- a fan of Richard Curtis's later work. What was the movie? It was about time. About, about time. time. A really, really terrible time-travelling rom-com. I had, I had no yeah. idea what it was. You, never, you don't want to see it. Listen, so obviously, wants to see obviously it. my cultural hinterland is lacking in the... In no, it's not. It's not. It's a, no, not by not, not seeing that. Time-travelling rom-com? But then, like, and then Leo Varadkar so says, you know, it's about time you got the Stormont institutions up and running, yeah. yawn, groan. I've got a strange feeling Jerry Adams is not up, up on his Richard Curtis film perhaps as much as he should be either you know it wouldn't really be his cultural hinterland either would it anyway all that goes is a very lengthy preamble to saying Fiat that he hasn't had a great first week Leo Varadkar no he hasn't after the you know initial warm glow of the youngest ever Taoiseach and the razzmatazz of the Fine Gael leadership election he was very much brought back to earth particularly over the appointment of Maura Whelan the former Attorney General to the Court of Appeal does he bear any blame for that? Or was he just I think it? it was he was left with it, but I think what happened is Fianna Fáil, quite logically from their point of view, have used it as a, as a battering ram to prevent any bounce that he may get. So the polls so far, it's his first week as Taoiseach, previous polls where it was obvious he was going to be Taoiseach, uh, kind of had Fianna Gael 30% there, thereabouts. I think Fianna Fáil have tried to use this as a way of making sure that he doesn't get a bounce in the next set of opinion polls that this is one of the first things the public see, this grubby, insider-ish appointment as they would characterise it. I think it is unfair. I think Andy Kenny put it on the agenda at his last cabinet meeting. I think Leo Varadkar was quite constrained in what he could do. I think it's unfortunate that it's been left uh, for him to deal with, but he has had to deal with it and it hasn't looked great. But he clearly made, he made his position quite clear, quite quickly. In fact, on numerous times over the weekend, from Friday to Saturday to Sunday, he stuck by the line that Maura Whelan is a very good appointment. She's eminently qualified and we are sticking to it. Mary, by, by, by forcing the issue in a way, it's a bit like, I, I have to admit, holidays are on my mind at the moment. And I was thinking it's a bit like going into your Airbnb and finding that somebody's left a horrible mess in the toilet bowl. And the first thing you have to do is get out the domestics and the rubber gloves. And he just had to do it as quickly as possible, didn't he? And he forced the issue by getting the president to do the dirty deed Yes, uh, and morning. also I suppose to some extent by putting it up to Fianna Fáil. Uh, you know, I think the thinking uh, within Leo Radker's camp 
has been to keep calm and carry on and that this will, it's not nice, but it'll blow over. I think that's the way they're they're thinking about it. And he has, you know, almost with a shrug at the weekend said, look, everybody knows that Fianna Fáil can collapse the government if they choose to do so. So it was very much the balls in your court, Micheál Martin. So I think Micheál Martin made what was probably the correct uh, political decision not to collapse the government over this issue on the grounds that he, he clearly doesn't like it. He thinks the whole thing stinks, but he doesn't think Fianna Fáil would be rewarded for collapsing the government and plunging the country into a fresh election over this. Yeah, over this issue. I, I think they just make a, a political calculation that, you know, their doors aren't being beaten down by people saying to them, this is an awful uh, throwback of a, of a process of appointing judges you know, people have a lot of things going on in their own lives. They're just maybe not too concerned about that. So I think the view Michal Martin has taken is that the party wouldn't be rewarded now for uh, making everyone go to the polls. They'd probably stay now until the third budget is in place. And the other factor they have to consider is, are they ready in terms of candidates, uh, money and so on? Probably not. And I'm not saying Fianna Fáil any more than any other party. I think, you know, it's amazing actually but, how but, behind political but, but, but parties but accepting, are in that, But accepting in that all case. that, as Fiac says, it is a useful stick for Fianna Fáil to beat Fine yeah. Gael with and to, you know, kill a bit of their bounce and take a bit of the luster off the, the new Taoiseach. And, um, and, and and a couple of other incidents, even before we come to the formation of the cabinet as a, as a whole and the, the junior ministers, even the, the kind of bit of a spat over Mary Mitchell O'Connor and is she actually a junior minister and will she be able to access the salary and will that require Fianna Fáil to approve that? And if not, that's all a bit messy. It kind of, I, I heard Heather Humphreys at the, on the radio at the weekend being attacked over all this and of course the, her travails with Emma and appointments to boards, which damaged Fine Gael at, at, at a time because, you know, part yeah. of Fine Gael's USP is we're not like Fianna Fáil. We don't do these dirty tricks. Yeah. So when it's shown that they do, it you know, it doesn't look good at all. Really, she, yeah, I mean, it is messy. There's no other word for it. It's been a messy, messy start. Mm. Heather Humphreys is a good example, actually, of a politician who can recover from a very rocky start. And uh, she did have that terrible thing with Emma at the beginning when she looked like she was absolutely finished before she'd even begun. But she steadied the ship. And I think she gets a bit of credit for how she handled the 2016 commemorations and so on and has obviously kept very close to Leo Radker and has been rewarded for that uh, and I think is going to play a, quite a central role now in his cabinet. But yes, the thing about Mary Mitchell O'Connor, oh, it kind of makes you cringe, doesn't it, when you hear them discussing it in, in Leinster yeah. House yesterday I mean, and Leo Radker kind of forced into position to say, look, if this does need legislation to kind of bump up uh, her pay to bring her up in line with the other super juniors, then it won't be prioritised because, you know, he's basically saying it wouldn't look good to prioritise so legislation my, my, my over my ministers, are, ministers' pay. My ministers are not interested in money. Yeah. My, interest, my ministers are interested in the job and not interested in the salary that job may command, is what he said yesterday. I, I would wonder if you asked the people around the table if they felt the same thing, would they, would they agree with him? But I think it, there is two... I think that Mary Mitchell O'Connor... Wage thing can fall one of two ways. One is that it looks really grubby, which it does, and that he didn't give advanced thought to the fact that this could become an issue because he doesn't have the majority in the House to pass such legislation. The other is that it feeds into the criticism of his cabinet as being male heavy in that he will have a number of junior ministers who get that salary and the one, sorry, super junior ministers and the one super junior who doesn't is female. That's something that's now circulating as well. And that could reflect badly on not just the government, but the body politic yeah. as a whole. So it could fall either way. You've been widely criticised for the gender balance of the new cabinet, Mary. Is that justified? 
The only surprising thing about this is that those around Leo Varadkar are surprised at the reaction. I mean, they think they managed expectations. They put out a diktat quite early on that the class of 2016 wouldn't be looked at. Is that fair enough? Well, no, I, I wonder about that because that is Leif Radker cutting himself off from really the only uh, seam that he had to mine of political, of female candidates, right? Because, like, we're not talking about a big pool here. He's got 11, Fine Gael has only 11 women TDs out of its its big a 50-person block, right? Uh, already a, a number of those are senior ministers and there are four newcomers and he has said they can't be looked at at all. And that that creates a difficulty. Like the four are, uh, actually, the bulk of them are Simon Coveney supporters, which obviously people think is another factor. So that's Kate O'Connell, Maria Bailey and who's my other one? Hildegard Nocton and then Josepha Madigan was a key supporter of Leo Varadkar and she, she in been, fact seconded the one him. Who might have been most, uh, most she definitely, candidate. yeah. And yeah. also Maria Bailey has apparently impressed mm. Mr. Varadkar quite a lot as well. But he deliberately said no, those women along with the men who were elected in 2016 can't be looked at at all. So therefore he had an even more restricted mm. pool from which to draw. Now, can we tease out the positive discrimination thing a bit is it fair in the strictest sense that we talked about fairness when we were school kids? No, it's not, right? Is life fair? And did we find that out after we left school? <laughs> it's not fair, right? So, you know, it creates an awful lot of difficulty. It creates discomfort. Uh, it's very, very difficult for every organisation. It's not just politics. You know, every nearly organisation you go into is top heavy sure, with men for institutional reasons. We see this in our own workplace. And you make the point very well, I think, in the in the in, the, in, our, in our politics digest this morning about this. I mean, there is some processes were put in place. And again, to be fair to Enda Kenny, were put in place under mm-hmm. Enda Kenny's Taoiseachship uh, with the specific aim of having more more women elected to to the Doyle. Uh, in particular. And if that were to happen, and, and that did get some results in the mm, last yeah. election, it meant that you were going to have a cohort of women coming into elected politics for the first time. And there was, you would have thought that then there should be a knock on from that. Well, exactly. To, in, in exactly the way that you're saying, to, to seek to fast track some of those women. Fast into, track is into, the into word. Catherine Martin, who's the Green Party deputy leader and the, the founder of the Women's Caucus, the cross-party group in the Oireachtas, made the point yesterday that, you know, young girls can't be what they can't see. So, you know, these women, like, let's face it, have factors other than merit uh, been involved in previous and indeed this selection of ministerial appointments? Absolutely, without a doubt. And I think that's why the government spokesman's insistence yesterday that this was all about merit has really, you know, really angered uh, the woman within within Fine Gael. Well, clearly geography played a huge part. Well, he yeah, said because geography, loyalty, merit and gender. Yeah. Those were his own criteria. He yeah. said it himself. And clearly, like, loyalty was definitely one because we had Dara Murphy who was sacked as Minister for European Affairs saying that he was informed in a phone call look, I have to reward my supporters. Basically, you picked the wrong side and tough about you. But uh, that was disputed by his spokesman. Well, just, just, to be, just to be fair to, to Leo Varadkar for a moment. Before That's the, well, we, that, that, be, he has to do that. Before, before, we, yeah, but before, before we came on air, you were saying, you know, there, are, there, are, there have been times in the yeah, past yeah, where yeah, people like were promoted the, the straight about, into yeah, the cabinet about, the, the having just joined the, the, the new entrance. I can see, like, it's unfortunate that the, a lot of the new, like, you know, it is certainly lacking in female representation. And there are a lot of talented... TD, female TDs in that 2016 intake but he quite clearly made a decision earlier on that he would not be promoting people from that uh, class and Dick Spring in 
when the Labour Party had its spring tide in 1982, I think they had 32, 33 seats, promoted a number of TDs to the ministerial ranks immediately, yeah. junior ministerial ranks. And he felt that that was, in hindsight, a bad decision because they didn't learn the ropes of the parliament. They didn't learn how what it is to be a TD, your bread and butter issues, the way, the workings of the parliament, how you interact with your constituents, how you look after your constituents. And he felt that that was a negative going into the next election. They hadn't adequately paid attention to their first duty as a parliamentarian rather than the, their duty as a minister. And uh, perhaps that is an issue that's feeding in. And Bert Hearn also famously said you'd have to do two terms, I think it was, as a TD before he even look at you as a minister. So it's not as if that Leo Varadkar is breaking a precedent okay, here. Okay, He's okay, actually but, adhering yeah, but, to yeah, one. It's, it's about the expectation fake, isn't it? It's this expectation that because Leo Varadkar has certain ap- attributes mm. uh, that he's going to be progressive and liberal. Mm. And that's not necessarily the case. You know, I totally take the point that you do have to cut your teeth in Leinster House. Uh, or it's certainly very helpful if you do so. But, you know, against that, it's it's that case of, you know, Irish women must wait. You know, are they just are Does they just to wait in there until there's... Because I'm not aware, if he does, I have, I'm not aware of it. He Has he any public statements on this He hasn't actually spoken that much about gender issues. Although, if you remember, do you remember the time Eamon Gilmore, when he was Taunashire, refused to go and speak uh, to the, is it the Hibernian Society, one of those yeah, big yeah, societies in, uh, in America, because on the grounds that they didn't uh, accept women members. Mm. Now, Leo Varadkar the following year did go, but he made a very pointed speech uh, about how Ireland was changing mm. and how you know this organisation mm. should change too. Uh, the other intervention I can think of was, I think it was in about 2012 or 2013, if you recall, the insolvency legislation was coming in at that time. And Leo Varadkar was actually brutally honest about a very dodgy part of the draft legislation at that time where childcare costs would be taken into account if people were being assessed for insolvency. And in effect, you know, if a woman was which is a very common situation, if a woman was earning less that, or about the same amount as her childcare or as the family's childcare costs as it should be, then, you know, maybe she should be giving up her job or thinking about that. Mm. So Leo Varadkar kind of, oh, weighed into that debate and I think put the frighteners up a whole load of families by mm. saying, you know, that he actually knew quite a few women in that, con- in that situation who weren't earning that much money but were kind of keeping their place in the, work- in the workforce for a couple of years. Uh, you know, I think his intentions were okay on that but he, he had to issue a clarifying statement very quickly the next mm. morning because a lot of confusion came from that. But to answer your question, I don't think he's actually said that much about gender but there has been, sorry, Fig, there has been a development today that which I think, I think he has uh, sort of realised uh, that this isn't playing well. And the abortion committee, which is sitting for the first time this morning, there had been an assumption that Jerry Bottomer was going to chair that. Uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil have a majority there, so they'll get to choose the chair. And Fianna Fáil is certainly not pushing anyone forward. Jerry Bottomer, as you'll recall, did a fairly good job, I think, uh, chairing the committee that led to the protection of life during pregnancy bill uh, in 2013 uh, but it's not going to be Jerry Bottomer it's actually going to be Catherine Noon mm. so you know I think there you will You think that's partly in reaction to I actually what's do. happened over there? Yeah, the I do. He has obeyed the, the, the longest running rule of politics and all this is loyalty like the, the people he promoted were his supporters He the political reality as he saw it probably said he had to do it because if you look I'm looking at the picture in today's paper in front of me right now John Paul Phelan Michael Darcy two instrumental players for him within the parliamentary party which is how he won the leadership Jim Daly 
the only man in Cork, the only TD in Cork to vote for him in the leadership contests. Brendan Griffin, another outspoken anti-Kennyite who supported Faradkar. And the fifth, as far as I know, is uh, Kieran Cannon. That's one that people are kind of scratching their heads at. But we assume it's because Leo Varadkar swept the board in the west of Ireland among councillors and Kieran Cannon was influential in bringing a lot of councillors on board, which brings the membership on board, which convinces people that you're an all-Ireland candidate. You know, one of the things I wonder about this, Vic, and maybe I just have the wrong end of the stick on it, is that this is not a huge Fine Gael parliamentary party, but it has access, actually, relatively speaking, historically, to quite a number of, you know, quite, quite a lot of rich pickings in terms of its percentage of the cabinet and its percentage of junior ministerships. Surely it should have been a little bit easier for him to do this than, than the kind of bit of a mess. It's, it's, never, it's, it's, it's never easy because... and. It, the the strength of his victory in the parliamentary party made it all the more difficult. Yeah, it right. would have been easier for him if he won by a smaller margin amongst TDs and, and senators. I think it was, what was it, 51-22 in the end. So he had a lot of mouths to feed and a lot of expectations. Yeah. And that's what led to the disgruntlement, like the people left out, like Pat Deering, again, a strong supporter of his who was spoken out against Enda Kenny. John Deasy in particular, people were feeling very sore for last night because he's been in Leinster House 15 years he was frozen out under the Kenny years people felt that if this was a new administration he would be brought in but he wasn't Mm. so I think the fact that he had so many mouths to feed even though he had a much greater range of options than any leader previously because his parliamentary party was so small and his range of ministries so big I'm sure as well that there, there was bound to be some people listening to this who are going, oh, what the hell is all this about? What are these jobs about? And we are, we are really, all of us, including me, describing it in terms of the kind of the, the big chieftain, you know, divvying out sweeties, sweeties to his followers. I'm looking, I'm looking here at this thing. This is Pat Breen TD, Minister of State across the Departments of Enterprise and Innovation, the Department of Employment and Social Protection, the Department of the Taoiseach and the Department of Justice and Equality with special responsibility for trade, employment, business, EU, digital, single market and data protection. What kind of a bloody job is that? (laughs) (laughs) One that you need to know your brief very well. That's the thing about junior ministers. They span them across all these departments. So they create these new departments in the shape that they want the government to be. So we saw last week he reorganised the Department of Jobs a lot of responsibility for labor, labor market activation went to his old department of social protection and suddenly they have to fit all these junior ministries into these these holes but interestingly like the jobs are such that in, invariably they focus on one real responsibility of their jobs so Pat Breen despite his you know voluminous job description yeah. will probably see himself as the junior minister in the department of enterprise and employment yeah. and he have he'll probably have four offices across town because have, be, sorry so hold on he'll have four offices yeah Four offices with desks and yeah, phones yeah. and oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Everything. Every department he's in will have an office for him because he's a minister in the department as well as his ministerial office in Leinster House. So we'll have five departments. I jokingly said to someone, you know, you want to Airbnb a few of these out, you know, in the yeah. summer months to get yourself a few quid. Are you serious? You know, yeah, four, my understanding is, yeah, I know a couple of ministers who are across a couple of departments and they say, look, I've got three, but like I really spend most of my time in this one. Like, you know. Have they never heard of hot desking? No. I think if a junior minister is wise, he or she picks three issues that they could make a name for themselves on. um, Because, you know, really, there's a lot of... I mean, there's some big, big, what looks like big things here, you know? The EU digital single market, you know, data protection. Those are are huge issues in their own right. I suppose, though, there's a sense that a junior minister is the stand-in when the senior can't be there. They're a half Mm -hmm. car, that's the joke, you know, and they get a good view from the foothills. But, well, you know... We could be proved wrong here. Leo Varadkar might actually prove to be a good delegator in this regard. He has yeah, said he'll give the Taunshecks responsibilities. So. The tenor of yesterday's cabinet meeting, cabinet meeting was supposed to be far different than what has gone before. How so? A lot more collaborative, 
you know, seeking mm. views across the table. It was went on longer than usual cabinet meetings, although the business was wasn't heavier than, than it was previously. Just, you know, sought a lot more views. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Because we were led to believe that one of the changes that would take place from the transition from Kenny to Varadkar would be that Kenny was a more presidential type uh, leader and that Varadkar might be more of a micromanager or into into all the detail. Is that I, the case? Th- th- I think a micromanager would wouldn't be correct. I think someone who takes a keener interest in the policy briefs in front of him would be correct, but he's not going to get bogged down into the, this is what you, why isn't this target being met here? I think what he does do in the speech last week in the Daw bore it out, he identifies broad ranges that he wants the department to meet. He has a vision for his government and he says to people, I want you to implement this, come back to me when it's done or I will ask you for a progress report. Whereas Kenny was more likely to sit back and let it flow, that he would let cabinet subcommittees and cabinet meetings flow and that he would let others challenge ministers and civil servants on the detail of what was before them. I think Farrakhan would be a different beast of a different stripe and that he knows the policies inside out himself mm. and will be kind of keener to challenge people on issues whereas Kenny Kenny was presidential in style but it goes back to the 2011 general election when Kenny recognised that you know smartly that he was not the big seller for Fine Gael the public didn't buy him so he had to sell his team as the main you know this is the Fine Gael team and the nature of that is he delegates out a lot to so Michael Noonan was given basically carte blanche to run Department of Finance as he saw fit as long as it didn't stray outside the lines of what Kenny wanted. I think this is going to be different. Varadkar has a very firm idea of what his government's to, government to be. Um, there is other stuff going on. There was uh, quite remarkable hearings yesterday um, with the PAC. And uh, have a listen to this exchange between uh, Mary Lou McDonnell and the Garda Commissioner, Noreen O'Sullivan. Absolutely not, Deputy. And maybe if I can just point out to something. This document is dated the 24th of October 2015. Yes. And as I said earlier, there are many ways of... No, no, no. Oh, no, sorry, oh, no, 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 I'm so, no, no, excuse me. You're not doing that. Stick to Deputy, the knitting here. Sorry. With no, respect. No, I, don't, I don't want to be long. Uh, Deputy, with respect, we are not knitting here. I have been asked a question and I would like to answer yeah, the I'd question, and I'd like you please. to answer briefly. Yes. So if you can allow me to answer the question, Briefly. Please. Yes. And to the point. To the point. Yes. When it, this letter is dated the 24th of October 2015. Yes. In effect, the working group, which was set up to establish this, was set up on the 6th of August 2015, yes. the first meeting of the group. Yes. The department, my understanding is, were involved in this. So my point was that there are many ways of ensuring that the department are kept fully informed. And that was one way of making sure that the department were fully informed. A section 41 letter doesn't, sorry, a section 41 does not always need to take the form of a letter. So under no circumstances... Now you're doing a bit of... uh what did I say, Pilates, verbal Pilates here in terms of how you're presenting facts. Anyway, I just wanted to establish, you did not interpret Mr. Culhan's letter as an attempt to dissuade uh, one way or the other as regards your disclosure, is that right? No, Deputy, okay. I don't do Pilates and I don't do knitting. Okay, well, I'm, um, I'm, I'm delighted. I'm not interested in your pastimes. So that was a fairly um, frosty exchange um, between, um, between Mary Lou MacDonald and Noreen O'Sullivan. 
quite, quite a gendered exchange, actually, I think, Mary. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, it was a bit odd, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I was, I mean, obviously we were kind of steeped in the other stories yesterday, but I, I was hearing all this talk about knitting and Pilates coming out. And I, I didn't really know what it was about, so it was great to hear that exchange in full. I mean... Conor Laddie uh, in today's Irish Times describes, this says that the committee members, I quote, are, un- are unable to disguise their distrust and incredulity, which yeah. is kind of pretty accurate summing up of the relationship now, isn't it? I think so. I think you could hear uh, disdain in the voice of the questioners quite a lot. Mm. Uh, I mean, I talk about this getting into gubu territory. Like, it's absolutely bizarre, the headlines that we've got now. And we've got so much coverage of it today. The lead story, Garda official attempted to muddy things up. That's in reference to a letter. Mm. And then just the few other... Yeah, there is general, like, you know, there's disdain from the guards towards the members of the committee because they feel they're grandstanding mm. sustained from the members of the committee towards the guard and management because they feel they're not being you know thorough in their answers and I thought Mary Lou MacDonald's questioning there was evident of that like Norman Sullivan is very polished falls back in managerial speak quite a lot can talk down the clock we talked about turning over rocks mm. and things come out blah, 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 blah. but I'm not sure the PAC is a very good instrument when it works properly it's very poor when it doesn't work and I think I'm not sure that this is and it generates uh, into showboating, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I think that, that there are risks always attached to that. Like, you know, Alan Kelly has appointed himself as the uh, the uh, Inquisitor-in-Chief on this particular PAC, and he's trying to get Anshins out of Norwich, quite rightly, but I just think that if you were to ask someone to go behind closed doors and investigate these matters, it would be done in a much more expeditious manner. Yeah, is, does this sort of infect the broader political system? I mean, obviously, I have no doubt that the government, uh, the new government, would like it just to be sort of sterilised and put off in a box, really, as, as the various inquiries take their course. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lingering sore, isn't it? Like, it's run right through the last administration and it's still going strong in this one. Like, there's no sign of it going away anytime soon. It's a tricky one for Leo Varadkar, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I think he knows that getting rid of the woman at the top is not going to solve the problem. No. But he has also made very strong comments about accountability and the need for accountability. So where he actually takes that is going to be fascinating. Yeah, there's, the, the politicians of all kind of parties say, like, it, it is a mess, but you often hear them saying, but it's not just Noreen O'Sullivan, it's a mess across the top and what good would taking her out do? Now... Is that a universal view, though? It's not. That's obviously not a universal. Well, view. The, the, it's just. I was just on my way in here. I bumped into an opposition TD, and I was chatting to him about it. And he said, "Oh, look, we've obviously called for Norman Sullivan to go, but the whole thing is an absolute mess. It's just across the board." But he felt that it would be a significant public statement were she to step aside. But she shows, shows no sign of doing so. The opposition, as in Fianna Fáil, who are the key players in all this, have said they're not going to table a motion no confiscation, which has a no, no legal effect anyway. Policing authority is not going to do anything about it and Norman O'Sullivan isn't going to go over on volition and the criteria for removing her is quite strict. So it would need to be a far more significant issue than this, I think, to move on the question of whether she stays or goes. So Mary, I was looking at reports of this, uh, these very elongated discussions really between the DUP and the Conservative Party for support of Theresa May's government. Um, the Tories seem to be completely surprised and blindsided by the demands the DUP are making, the process of negotiation which the DUP are seeking. And the DUP in turn is very taken yesterday, but there are comments coming out of the, the DUP essentially saying the Tories don't know how to negotiate, which would make you a bit worried about the Brexit talks as well. Yeah, it would. I think it was very naive of Theresa May to come out so early in the process and sort of declare a deal was done. I mean, this is the DUP we're talking about. Like, th- these people are deal brokers extraordinaire for decades now and they've been steeped in the minutiae uh, of Northern Ireland politics and you know they're they're kind of schooling Theresa May a bit it's it's 
humiliation, heaped on humiliation for her. And yes, the DUP. DUP's line yesterday to show some respect. You know, they really are talk about, uh, you know, revenge oh, yeah. being a dish served cold. Like They were very sore about not being included in the debates ahead of the last general election in the UK whereas, you know, parties in Wales and the mm. Green Party and so on were, they were very, very angry about that and now they are absolutely delighted that Newsnight is doing a special focus on them and so on. So is part of that then, is part of that what's driving what's going on, that they, they actually, it's in their interest as far as they're concerned and as you say there's a bit of revenge there as well to just make sure that this thing drags out. In fairness I don't know that they are dragging it out I mean these are extremely complex mm. issues that we're dealing with here that like you know what? go back hundreds of years. Well, what are we talking about? Well because, first because of all you're talking money right? Yeah. Extracting money, money from the British Exchequer is not easy. Actually, the British Exchequer is billions of pounds sterling out of the British economy Well what I hear from years. contacts in the north is the British Exchequer is very very clever at you know dressing old money up as new and presenting it to you as if you've got something wonderful but actually when you look at it this money was promised before so there's that and then there's the you know the really really detailed stuff about like the Irish Language Act and you know all these things that have been contentious in Northern Ireland for years and are not just going to get sorted out in a couple of days in 10 Downing Street Uh, you know I think Arlene Foster has also to make you know a very she has to be make a political calculation. How long is this administration going to last? You know, is Theresa May? You remember the phrase "political corpse" that mm. Shane Ross used about Enda Kenny and caused dead, ma- dead woman walking. Yeah, caused such consternation. But you know, that's probably the, the only case. Thing that, the only thing that's saving her is that there's nobody else as of now to replace her. So part of the deal from the DUP's point of view, Fick, is that if they're going to get some cash, they want it fast. Yeah. For that reason. And like, I think Mary is right. Like, it is, it was too simplistic to assume all this would be wrapped up within a matter of days. Like, we is saw that, how long... Is Tory Grandy's arrogance? I think it's just, they don't know, they, they're not used to dealing with these type of talks. Like, the last coalition they had in, in the UK, 2010, Tories and Lib Dems, was done, I think, was it four days? Yeah. It was over, but that was a full-on coalition. You get your manifesto, your manifesto, mm-hmm. go, that bit, that bit, that bit, that bit, you love these jobs, that jobs. This is more complex. It's a confidence supply, as we saw with our own confidence supply negotiations last year. It's really detailed. And European, like, after elections in Europe, like, these negotiations go on for forever. But seriously though, am I not then right to be completely terrified by David Davis shows up for the start of the talks this week and apparently they didn't have full position papers. The, the no, Barnier Michelle, is Michelle. there with these vast quantities mm. of position papers on every issue there's a and he's just there. There's been a cartoon silent. I think in the Telegraph yesterday of a big long table at one end was Barnier with a quite tidy notebook open and the other end was David Davis fumbling with all these papers that say single market, customs union, DUP, minority government. They don't know but it depends so on your point of view. we've got an incompetent government unable to negotiate the most important negotiation possibly of this century uh, and and we're all depending on them getting something good out of this Well, moment. this is it. We're in the re- extraordinary situation where the DUP, I mean, everybody has a laugh now about its uh, failed campaign to save Ulster from sodomy. But, you know, the DUP could actually be the party that saves Ireland from a hard Brexit. I can't believe we're here. Neither can I. We'll leave it there. Thanks very much, Mary Fick. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. Remember that you can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.